Hey ladies, welcome to the Diamond Hands podcast. So you want to own a med spa? Welcome to our community and explore the exciting industry of medical aesthetics and hear from experienced med spa owners and relevant industry experts to guide you on your path. Mindset, money, practice management, marketing, find it here. Yes. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Diamond Hands podcast. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Itai Weiser, a plastic surgeon from New York City. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> so happy to have you on the show, guys. I stopped him for like half a year for this. Wow. Happy saying. to be here. <laughs> Same. So, you know, um, this is like a really fresh perspective today because, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, guests that I've had have, uh, there have been med spa owners. So they've been nurse practitioners, nurses, and things like that. And so for season two, I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, you know, medical aesthetics is really broad. So I was like, let me get into the plastic surgery side. So I really loved your page and, you know, and we're going to get into some of the things that I liked about you, your musician and things like that. So I was like, oh my God, I was like, he's so cool. And I wanted to get to know you. So here we go. So <laughs> tell us, you know, um, Dr. Itai, a little bit about your background and what led you to your path of being a doctor at Weiser? Because I know you have a couple of degrees. Oh, guys, he has a lot. <laughs> so. Well, I'm, uh, I'm an Israeli guy, born and raised in Israel. Uh, at the age of 18, every Israeli guy needs to go to serve the army. And mm -hmm. I had the uh, privilege to go on a medical military program. So I started med school mm -hmm. at the age of 18 uh, at Sackler, Sackler School of Medicine, Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. And then after that, after you complete the service, you're supposed to go and serve the military as a military doctor. Uh, and then I have, uh, I fell in love with research mm. for some particular reason I don't understand until today. And uh, I have managed to persuade my commanders to give me three more years uh, to do a PhD. And I did a PhD in uh, a very obscure uh, field in medicine called epidemiology mm -hmm. uh, that no one knew what it is. Now, <laughs> after COVID, everybody is an epidemiologist. Everyone's like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> everybody talks numbers, and he understands R0 and... Uh, risk factors and everything and vaccines. Yeah, I, I did my PhD. I did my PhD on vaccines, actually on a, on a vaccine for a disease that, that, that does not exist anymore, smallpox. Actually the only disease wow. eradicated by, by humans. Wow. In history. Yeah. So that was fascinating time. And I'm so happy I did it because then I understood that I much I could probably be a much better clinician treating people mm -hmm. than uh, you know rats and pipettes and <laughs> Statistical software. Oh, then wow. I joined the army, served for six years uh, in the infantry and special forces as a military doctor, and then I had to pick a residency. Um, my uh, my initial thought was to be an OBGYN. Oh, really? Yes. What was that your initial like? Why? Like you were studying animals and then OBGYN. <laughs> The, the reason is it's a fascinating field. It's a very mm -hmm. rich and complex. It's mm -hmm. an optimistic field most of the time. Because, most uh, of the time, yeah. 
most of the time. Uh, and I love the combination of treating patients who are mostly women, which mm -hmm. is my favorite population. <laughs> and um, for sure. Uh, and um, having an optimistic field and, and it's very intelligent, very bright, always evolving. Um, but then I stumbled upon plastic surgery. Hmm. which is actually the complete opposite of epidemiology the field I've done before, which is, you know, everything's population, big numbers, and uh, hmm. very scientific. Plastic surgery is on the outskirts of medicine. It's, mm -hmm. it's half art, half, you know, there's business into it, which is sometimes yeah. blasphemy for other doctors, uh, <laughs> involving, you know, business terms and that. And it's very, very personal and, and, hmm. and very subjective. It's actually... I thought about it many years. How can you actually measure results in plastic surgery? Mm. It's one, it's good for the other, bad for another. They never agree. The most common sentence you'll hear from plastic surgeons are many ways to skin a cat and all mm -hmm. kinds of those things. Wow. Yes. But I fell in love with this field uh, because of mostly it's very personal approach and touch to the patient. And mm -hmm. really because it, it grasps a lot of, treat solely the quality of life of patients. This yeah. is what this uh, field addresses. And uh, it gives you a little bit of artistic freedom in mm -hmm. what you do. And you sleep at night. Interesting. Not like OBGYNs. So, uh, or less. So that's well, why yeah. I chose it. Yeah, or less, exactly. Like that, and I think that's really cool that you were able to Kind of because, like, you know, epidemiology is, like you said, that's like the study of disease. That's a completely different thing. Um, it might have had its place if you wanted to do research for, I guess, OBGYN. I don't know. But it's just like you kind of found a way to kind of, because, you know, being an OBGYN, you're dealing with a creative force because the ovaries, the uterus, all that, it's, like, it's, it's a creative energy. And right. even in plastic surgery, that same thread is there. It's, 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 a, it's a very creative Thing you're doing right so men be OBGYN dealing with the uterus and on all these other things but you're dealing with changing someone's face or their breasts or or, or whatever you're changing which is so I, I love that creativity and how you kind of continue to drive that I love it too and uh every day I have the opportunity to be creative with my mm -hmm. patients and it's not necessarily by holding a knife. You know, when you sit and speak with your patients, the creative okay. process starts. Mm. Because you're getting an input from the patient and you start to understand their concerns, their goals, and you dig in to see what really bothers them. Mm -hmm. And then you actually become a consultant. Yeah. And you educate them about their opportunities and their possibilities. And you look at the short term and you look at the long term and you set expectations, which is one of the major things that we do in plastic surgery. Because people mm. come with unrealistic expectations many times to see you. Wow. And it's a process that eventually makes the people feel better about themselves mm -hmm. so they can focus on the important things in life. Yeah, that's my motto. Wow, and 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 I, and I think that's a beautiful thing, you know, that the consulting process is where you start creating, and that's where the art starts. 
you know, yeah. because I've, I, you know, I, with the with the internet, with Instagram, and with all these things that we see today, I think sometimes, you know, when you said talk about managing expectations, you know, patients come through the door and they're just like, oh, I want to look like this, and they show you their phone, or, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that happens to you. Um, and you know, setting those expectations, and then and that and that consultation is really where the work starts. And I in and, and, and any provider that's not doing a consultation, ooh, it's like, what are you doing? How can you treat someone without consulting them first? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've heard things, <laughs> but you know. So what school did you go to for plastic surgery? I uh, completed my residency in plastic surgery in uh, a hospital in Israel, close mm-hmm. to Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have trained there for five years, and yeah. then I was lucky enough to be accepted to a microsurgery fellowship. Wow. Uh, microsurgery is a field in plastic surgery where we reconstruct we reconstruct uh, uh, the body or the wounds or whatever are the missing organs by taking from other places in the body. Uh, mm. For example, after a mastectomy. Uh, uh, breast surgery for cancer. We, I create a new breast by mm-hmm. taking tissue from the belly with the blood wow. supply. And then I need to connect the blood vessels, which are like two, three millimeter diameter into blood vessels in the chest. So I do it under the microscope and this is why it's called microsurgery. Oh my goodness. So you're actually, so it's under a microscope. Are you using any like robotic things when you're doing that? It's not robotics, but you know, we bring the microscope, we drape it sterilely, mm-hmm. and we sit to, together, two people under the microscope with small, uh, small instruments and mm-hmm. uh, uh, sutures that are like hair, hair thin, wow. and we suture vessels, right? Oh my god! Yeah. And once <laughs> we take, so cool. once we take the clamp off, you see the we call it a flap. What we what we can disconnect and reconnect in a different place, so yeah. the flap comes alive again. And you see blood flowing through it. Yeah, it's like a rebirth. Oh my goodness. It's like it's like I, I'm a very visual person. So like right now I'm like seeing that in my head, like something that's like, you know, just like to be white, you know, doesn't have any blood in it, not much color, and like the color coming back into it. That's an amazing thing. Wow. And it so is. and so from there, you know, after after that fellowship, you know, at what point did you say, you know, hey, I want to start my own plastic surgery business? Because I know you were teaching as well, on top of everything else that you do, but you were teaching as well. But at what point were you like, okay, I'm going to start my own plastic surgery business? Right. So my, when I was training in Israel, my attendings, uh, my seniors, always worked in a kind of a model that was hybrid. And it was really, it fit the, the, the health uh, model in Israel, mm-hmm. which is they had part-time work in the hospital doing public service, public mm-hmm. uh, in the public hospital, public system. And they had part-time in the private world. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, this hybrid kind of model allows them, first of all, to do reconstructive work Hospitals are more on the cutting edge and involving developing uh, health. They have mm-hmm. challenging cases that mm-hmm. they can learn from and evolve. And on the private side, 
they can translate this experience and knowledge to give better care and optimize care for their aesthetic patients. Yeah. And it goes hand, hand, hand with hand. Mm -hmm. um, and I try to implement it here. It's less common. Mm -hmm. I found it less common, especially in New York City. So when residents and fellows uh, complete their training here, they either go to completely private or they go mm -hmm. to the academic slash uh, public. Mm -hmm. um, so because they want to be focused, and I am trying still the high level. I think it contributes to my overall professionalism, but uh, yeah. time will tell. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> and so, you know, so you said, so you talk about focus and I, I know that since you're a creative person, you have a couple different, you know, irons in the fire, if you will, or whatever. And then something that I did notice about you and something that I love that you do share with your audience is that I believe that you're an accomplished musician. <laughs> like you play piano very well. And if I heard that Bach and I was like, yes. Um, so, you know, tell me about, um, you know, for yourself and if you guys don't listen to classical music, I know I'm dorking out here, but tell me like, who is your favorite composer um, that you studied and why? I have many favorite composers. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the classics. Uh, I was educated and trained on classical piano. Yeah. And the most challenging and uh, composer that I really, really adore and admire is uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, uh -huh. uh, who's, uh, who's uh, from the Rococo uh, period, lived in the 17th century. He's a very famous composer. And what I really like about this composer composition is the polyphony and the way mm. the count it's called counterpoint of counterpoint, yes. and you can hear three three tunes going at once and mm -hmm. intersecting and intertwining and and talking with each other and it's just amazing it's mind-blowing when i hear it yes. i can it's just the ultimate beauty and it actually mm -hmm. connects to beauty in a sense, in the in the mathematical sense and mm -hmm. in the harmo harmonic sense. Yes. It's just pure beauty for me. And sometimes I like to hear it in the OR when I'm operating and I just wow. feel, I feel, you know, the harmony comes from one side into mm -hmm. when I'm planning, you know, the proportions and the symmetry. Mm -hmm. It's... I have no words to describe it. It's, it's, it's orgasmic. Well, it is, guys, and you want it to be an OBGYN, so you know the mathematics of that too. But it's just like it's, it's like so. One of my favorites of Bach. I love the Passacaglia. I can't. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. I read too much, but in, in, in D, and it's an organ piece. And because I love the pipe organ, I, I, I played in church and everything back in the days, but it's just like, you know, when you hear like, like you were talking about the, the, the polyphony, it's like, it's all going, like, if you listen to like the baseline, I'm obsessed with the baseline, you just listen to that. And it's just like, and it's, you just hear that theme coming over and over and over again. And it's like, when I was younger, um, uh, I was homeschooled for high school, weirdo. But it's like, um, I would love to go to the concerts at Yale and Woosley Hall. And I would sit there in the pipe organ concerts and just like, it was, they had lunchtime pipe organ concerts. And I would just like sit there and like listen. And it was like the most, so I, I, I share that with you. Like, 
the music and it is not found in music of today <laughs> at all. Music of today is very shallow, but whatever. It yeah. is. I think it, it, it's, I like the music of today as well. I think it goes to other aspects and it's, it's more suitable to the way we live today, which is hectic and, and, you know, hits and bits and uh, of information. We have less patience to listen to stuff. Mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, my kids, they have no patience to listen to classical music at all. <laughs> and I understand them because they live in an ADHD society today. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. I remember myself as a kid, I didn't have a lot of patience to sit and listen. It, it took a while. It takes education to yeah. go into that. Now, because I play myself, I... I perceive the complexity, uh, how hard it is to achieve yes. it. It makes me admire it even more. So organ yes. players are probably the most sophisticated players of them all because they have to work four limbs yeah. while they play. Yeah. And, and they play like a polyphony of four sometimes mm-hmm. altogether, if not more. So this is amazing. I mean... Their mind is probably if they if they'll do an FA functional MRI on their brain while they're playing, it probably looks like a like a a color colorful concert. Looks like a <laughs> like they have fireworks fireworks in their brain. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on, and, and I'm not a top organ player, but uh, my my partner's brother is like toured all around you know all around Europe playing, and 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 it's just like it's just like wow. When you see it going, but I love that. And so with, so I know you said there's connections there, but how do you think the, the study of music and the arts informs the way that you practice medicine? I know that you use it when you're like, you know, doing plastic surgery, but do you find any other parallels? Many. So arts, being an, or training as an artist, uh, first of all, teaches you about uh, harmony and proportions and the importance of technique and strive to perfection. Mm-hmm. That's one aspect of being an artist mm-hmm. and never being happy with your results in the baseline yeah. is, is the way you get better results. And if you'll ask my staff, they'll tell you what, what is Dr. Weiser's usual, usual response to what he does. They say he's not satisfied. He's not happy. Yeah. He wants more. He, he wants to get it better. And mm-hmm. that's me. Yeah. Um, the second thing is the message. So art is about communication. It's a mm-hmm. form of communication. And that translates to the communication between me and the patient. Yeah. So the surgery or the procedure is actually a vehicle to, to transfer feelings, emotions, uh, and message and communication between. Mm-hmm. And I'm here as, as, as a messenger, someone yeah. who created as a gate to make the person more whole, more complete, more satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's never a one and done. It's a process. I mm-hmm. always say it to the patients. It's like, you don't buy, it's not buying a perfume in Sephora. I take it from the shelf. It's yours. <laughs> exactly. 
it's a process. It's a process, always. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to perform the procedure, mm-hmm. but then there's a healing time. You're going to be swollen. Things are changing. It's going to affect your life mm-hmm. for a limited period of time. But I can assure you that after several months, it will most probably change your life for the best. Yeah, definitely. And you'll be happy with it. And the most important thing for me as a doctor, and I think that it differentiates me a little bit from other plastic surgeons, that I want to be part of the process. Mm. I'm there for the process. I give my patients myself so they can text me, cry to me, uh, complain, share, and uh, and we do it together. I absorb it. Wow. I, yeah. I'm uh, I'm compassionate and, and mm-hmm. sharing their pain and uh, mm-hmm. you know the frustration of healing until they mm-hmm. get to the to the safe harbor to the desired result. Sometimes it's very fast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes longer. Wow. But uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Wow. So like you know that's a lot of energy that you're taking on you know into yourself and you know. With that, do you, do you find that when you're taking on all this energy of your patients, when they're going through it, that, like, what am I trying to say here? Like, when you're taking on all the energy from your patients, like, what are you doing to make sure that you stay, like, even, if that makes any sense, you know? Right. Um, well, I, I have my mental boundaries mm-hmm. to you know and and the way i interpret my patients uh you know concerns and and energies that i you know uh transfer to myself and, and transfer back mm-hmm. and i think that most patients from my experience they're looking for someone to reassure them mm-hmm. that it's going to be okay yeah uh, they're looking for someone to address their concerns they're looking for someone who listens mostly yeah. Because most of the intelligent patients understand that it's a process. It's going to take time. The swelling is going to go down. The scar is going to go down and fade. And mm-hmm. um, it just needs someone that can listen to them, hold their hand, and say it's going to be fine. So I, I always think about myself or my relatives, what kind of treatment they like to get. Mm. How they, how would I like to be treated and yeah. rest? What kind of service? I'm providing a service. What kind of service? What quality of service I would like to receive from my mm-hmm. doctor? Yeah. I mean, I'm a doctor, but I can also be a patient. So yeah. I'll, I am sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I want someone who treats me with respect, gives me all the information, mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. and yes. there when I need it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we want in life in, in, in many different places. And it's like, you know, in a doctor's office, you don't always get that transparency. But, you know, when you're dealing with something so intimate as how your body looks or have you, I, I, I think that is a nice touch that you do add to your practice. And I do think it's a differentiator because when I saw that you're putting your cell phone number out on the internet, so I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, that's intense. But you do that and you're in your patients. You know, obviously, it pays dividends because they appreciate what you do for them, and and so with that, you know, 
you know, juggling those energies of your patients and, and all that. I know you're a family man too. So as a, as, a, as a plastic surgeon and as a researcher and everything that you do, what do you attribute to keeping yourself someone, somewhat balanced? And do you even think balance exists or is that just something that they talk about on LinkedIn? Work-life balance, they say, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> my life is not balanced most <laughs> of the time. I think in overall they are, but um, we always shift. I mean, I always shift. You 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 allocate your your energy and resources to a specific goal that you that you you know set for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, my anchor in life is my partner in life. It's my wife. Yes, amen. And she is my life partner mother to my children, my business mm -hmm. partner, my mm -hmm. life coacher, and we support each other. That's so great. Um, and we set the goals together. Mm. We set the short-term goals. We should set the long-term goals. And we talk about everything. Um, and we know each other very well. So we, even when we disagree, which happens often, of course, I disagree with uh, mine. We already, <laughs> both of us, we know the path. We know the path to, for resolution. So uh, yeah. we walk by it. Uh, I think um, one of the key for a successful partnership is a lot of, is a good sense of humor, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which we both have. Mm -hmm. and so we enjoy it. Um, sometimes we can't even have a decent fight because we, we burst and laugh. That's so great. Yeah. That's so great. And how long have you guys been married now? We married in 2003, which makes us married for 18 years. Oh, that is such a beautiful thing. I, I love that. But what you said is key there, you know, so work-life balance, of course. Okay, guys, it's fake. <laughs> okay, but it, it's just like what you said is key there about having a partner who understands what you're doing and you, and you should set the short-term goals together and the long-term goals together. Because when you kind of set those, I'm going to call them contracts, quote in quotes, with your partner, they can't come back to you and complain and say, oh my God, you're working 18 hours a day or something. It's like, no, this is what this is what we said. And it takes a special type of person to understand the drive that their partner has or both of them has to, to get what they need to get done. Yeah. Special and speaking of contracts, my wife's a lawyer, so uh <laughs> yeah. she, she remembers every word I say. <laughs> oh god, so nothing's getting by her in that household. Yeah, I'm doomed. That's so wonderful. And so, so with that, so the pressure from all different sides, but I, so we're, we're going to go over to, I know that you, so, okay, what I want to ask you is about pressure. So, well, all these different things you have pressure. So, there's a quote that says, pressure is a positive force when you're in command of the situation. I know that you're an avid runner and you do all these things, but as a person as active as you, what does that quote actually actually mean to someone like you? So well, you can't be always in command of the situation. Mm -hmm. But you can definitely be in control of yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when things get rough uh, or not going according to 
your plans, uh, I found that taking a deep breath, counting to 10, and recalculating quietly with yourself what are you going to do is much better uh, than being, being impulsive and, mm. uh, you know, uh, doing a flick of the wrist kind of uh, response to stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the older I get, the more I act uh, in the, the, first, uh, the first way I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's mostly about communication, mm-hmm. communicating uh, with the people who you know, are in charge of the situation, involved mm-hmm. in the situation, and trying to resolve things, uh, you know, through communication and diplomacy. Mm-hmm. I see it a lot with my patients, my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we deal with conflicts every day. Um, and it's always better to resolve them in a manner that people will feel that, they are, again, being respected, communicated mm-hmm. to, and issues resolved together with them rather than mm-hmm being put over their heads and that's how I want it and do it. Yeah. So I mean, I like that advice though. You can't always be in control, but when something gets out of control, take a deep breath and think about what you're going to do instead of doing something impulsive. Because that, those impulsive things are, are what gets us all into problems in many areas in our lives. Impulsive. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes... Silence is golden, exactly for that reason. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree with that 100%. Speaking of silence, you're in silence a lot and you've written a lot. So when I was looking into your background, I see that you've co-authored over 58 research papers. Like, I don't know where you get the time to do this stuff, but you know, I know that draws on your PhD in epidemiology. And so a question that I wanted to ask you is, how do you integrate holistic health into the disease, in quotes, of aging? And how do you believe that diet and other factors affect the aging process? Interesting question. So I will start by saying that being an epidemiologist have contributed a lot to the, my philosophy of medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, epidemiology sees things in a big scale. It's a, it's a kind of a philosophy of, of how do you look at things. Mm-hmm. And when you look at things on big scales, it looks very, very different than looking at it on the one-on-one perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allows me to switch between the, you know, the perspectives of seeing the, the patient's concern in front of me and seeing the population aspect of it mm. when it comes to be <clears throat> being an um, an aesthetic surgeon uh, and a plastic surgeon it helps me to understand where my patients are coming from what mm-hmm. other you know what other factors in their life uh, affects their desire or goal to become an aesthetic, uh, you know, to go through an aesthetic procedure. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example for, um, you know, when I was a fellow, I had a patient coming to me for a breast reduction, a 24 year old patient who wanted a breast reduction. When I examined her, 
And she told me her breasts are big and she feels that they're heavy and she wanted them reduced. I examined her. She was a B cup. Uh, yes, very small. And then I continued to examine her mm -hmm. and I saw a lot of uh, scars on her wrist. Many oh, wow. scars from cut. So I naturally asked her, when was your last admission? And she said, three months ago, and she's an anorexic nervosa patient. Wow. Meaning that she had a mental so Yeah. So you understand you're dealing with a body dysmorphic disorder. Yes. I am sure that some surgeons would disregard it and operate on her mm. just for that reason. But in the greater scheme of things, you need to you need to do the right thing and take the interests of your patients first. So I referred her back to her therapist. I told her, like, yeah. you don't need a breast reduction. You need therapy. Wow. Uh, and I try to look at things in a holistic manner. It's not easy because there are many factors going into aesthetics. Aesthetic service is something that is, again, it, it's something that you don't need. Uh, mm -hmm. You want it. Right, it's not a necessity. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's uh, it's not a commodity. It's a service. You know, mm -hmm. you can live until 120 happy without <laughs> any aesthetic procedure whatsoever. Of course. So the health of the patient comes first. Yeah. I am proud of of doing the most extensive pre-op lab work and exams before I put a patient on my table. Mm -hmm. um, because I just want to make sure that the outcome is perfect. Yeah. I, I don't even trust the patient about what it is. I do the lab work anyway. Wow. Yeah, I, I check for smoking, for, mm -hmm. for drugs, everything. Wow. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because no one will care whatever excuses I have after a bad result. True. And... If I put my knife on the patient and I wouldn't make sure his body is optimal and ready for surgery and the patient is ready for surgery. Because mm -hmm. a bad result is a bad result. And then go explain, yeah, but he lied to me. He didn't. No one cares. No one cares. There you go. Wow. So you and, sometimes uh, need to save the patient from himself. Yeah, and, and, and I, and I that point where, you know, even with that patient chocolate that you had, you said you don't need plastic surgery, you need therapy. And, and, if, and if all, you know, doctors could really do that, but some people are just so concerned about the dollar sign. So like, I'm going to get this money and they don't care that the person's going to maybe then, you know, do something harmful to themselves after they get that procedure. Like We all, we all want to get a decent, honest living, mm -hmm. but... It's not worth it to damage some someone just for that. It's just exactly. not worth it. Exactly. And so speaking of things not being worth it, I, I know that there has been a lot of contention in, in for some doctors um, in the industry. And some some have thought that. Um, you know, nurse practitioners or nurses shouldn't be, you know, doing aesthetic, non-invasive aesthetic procedures. And I just want your opinion, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on that in the field now? Because it's, 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 it's 
skyrocketing, you know. Of course. Yeah. Well, I think that there are many talented uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants that uh, inject and mm -hmm. use uh, do facial rejuvenation with uh, uh, Botox and uh, or modulators and uh, dermal fillers. Mm -hmm. They can do it very well. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that I think is important is in their training to educate them and make make sure that they understand the limitations of uh, what fillers and neuromodulators can uh, can give mm -hmm. uh, to improve the appearance. Mm -hmm. It can solve everything. Yeah. And uh, nurse practitioners should know how to convey it to the patient and be mm -hmm. honest when they understand that fillers won't help them and yeah. Botox won't help them. You were speaking about the dollars and early on. So yeah. that is the most important part of the NPs and PAs training when they want to become injectors. Mm -hmm. It's not what they can do, it's what they cannot do. Interesting. It's, exactly. So you don't want to, you don't want, they, they know how to hold a hammer in their hand and then Every every aesthetic problem in the face becomes a nail. Mm. You don't want that. No. And they should know when to refer mm. to uh, another provider that can have uh, better solutions. Mm. I'm the us as plastic surgeons. Uh, we have a bigger toolbox. Yeah. And uh, a wider array of solutions to aesthetic problems. We are more experienced in, in, uh, in doing that. We're more experienced in seeing complications because we treat them and uh, we know what will help what because we are pretty confident in offering other solutions when, it's, mm -hmm. when we think that the, the, what the patient wants. Sometimes the patients just want to come and say, I want a filler. And, Said, okay, why? What concerns you? What's your, what's the problem? No, I. Yeah. Someone told me, and then you do your assessment. You give them the, your professional advice. You educate the patient. Yeah. Uh, yeah. About them, and then the patient's more aware, and he can can make more conscious, better decisions for himself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the main thing. So I'm not against uh, nurse practitioners and and physician assistants injecting. I'm mm -hmm. for it, but I am for also having them properly educated about the limitations of this treatment. Interesting. And, and that makes sense. I mean, so cultivating, you know, we talk about relationships and, and things. It's like, so cultivating those symbiotic relationships with, you know, plastic surgeons, you know, that could only, I believe, help um, a, a practitioner because not only not only having a relationship that you can refer out to if needed, but your clients, you know, when you have that good bedside manner and you're telling them like, I I, I want to help you, however, I'm not the person to do it. They're going to respect a provider more for giving them that spot on advice, and then they'll be able to work with the plastic surgeon to get the result that they do seek. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think that's excellent, and, and I know we're wrapping down here, but you know. This is a question I, I really wanted to ask you. And it's, it, so my question to you is, what is beauty to you? And how do you believe the Kardashianizing of the female body is affecting how us women see ourselves? And my other question to you is, 
you know, how do you see that being reflected in what your patients are asking for? That's a loaded question. It might be too much. <laughs> <laughs> so I differentiate. I think it's a fantastic question, and I love the Kardashianizing. I love it. Um, so my definition of beauty is something that is universal, harmonic, and, and can be described even in mathematical terms. It's, you know, this universal proportion that we talk about all the time. We can describe it in every living thing. And people usually are fantastic judges of beauty. They can score beauty in, in universally. It's like going through everybody's minds and, and uh, define it pretty mm -hmm. good. And, and that's actually described by many studies that have been done. Oh, yes. Um, so, uh, and people can be described and, you know, scored by universal beauty uh, scoring. And, and, and everybody can be a, a beauty contest judge and give great results. We don't need celebrities for that. <laughs> yes. But there's another term that I think most of my patients, when they come to me, they are looking more for this definition, which is attractiveness. And attractiveness mm -hmm. is a more complex, more personal, more subjective term that uh, encompasses both beauty and also, you know, everything that we pile up on it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that also is um, radiate through us uh, mm -hmm. and people see and perceive. And mm -hmm. it has many, many things that, you know, uh, a person that looks through, looks at someone, uh, conceive, is it attractive or not? Oh, yeah. And it, and it goes to, to many things. And when I treat my patients and I'm doing an aesthetic procedure, my goal is to make them feel more attractive. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is the goal because when, and, and one of the things that creates a better attractiveness of a, of a person is his sense of confidence in, in how he looks. Mm -hmm. And if someone is going through a breast operation and she feels that she's more beautiful and she feels more attractive, people mm -hmm. will think she is more attractive because it changes her behavior. Interesting. Right? For breast reduction patients, patients with big breasts, they usually go like this, they're crooked uh, forward. Mm -hmm. They try to hide their breast mm -hmm. uh, because they're a little bit of ashamed of it or embarrassed. Once they go through the operation of a breast reduction, they straighten up and they go with their head high and they mm -hmm. feel more attractive. Wow. And people see it. Their self, the level of confidence changes it affects them, and that's mm -hmm. the, that's the little trick. Now, on the other hand, we are uh, witnessing uh, a big shift in, in in human society because now our minds live on uh, Instagram, on the corner of Facebook. We are living in the virtual reality realm and social media realm, and we see ourselves all the time. And we communicate like this to other people. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and suddenly the way we look, which was always very important. I think there's also a difference between men and women in that sense. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that's, another, that's another podcast altogether. <laughs> it's, it becomes even more, uh, more prominent 
more dominant and and now because we are exposed to more aesthetic solutions we want to become we want to see ourselves better we want to we want to be more attractive to the social media and that mm -hmm. makes us more busy all the aesthetic providers mm -hmm. we also have more time we also have more funds all this streams it into the aesthetic uh, aesthetic uh, providers, products, and everything. Mm -hmm. Now, I think in general, it, it's a positive thing. But I think that uh, if I'm trying to educate my patients, is is about you know moderation and proportion. Mm -hmm. Don't be radical. Uh, think it through. Yes, you want to feel better about yourself. Yes, we can take care of uh, uh, things that bother you and make you feel and look better. But you need to take everything under consideration and you need to uh, understand the process, the risks sometimes, uh, alternatives. So you need to think it through. I can help you think it through. I can help you reach a decision. But be conscious about it and and give it attention. And if you'll do it like this, you'll enjoy your results much better for a longer time. Wow, that's, that makes that's, so much sense. That's what I think it's all about. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and don't jump to conclusions. Hmm. Exactly. Just because Kim Kardashian did it, guys, doesn't mean that we have to. Right. <laughs> exactly. I, I love that, you know, how you kind of integrate, you know, the mathematics side of beauty and you integrate that with, you know, the kind of more, it's intangible, the, the attractiveness and how those things kind of combined overall can make your patients feel better. And I think that's one of the best messages there in that, in that answer. And, you know, my, my, my last question to you is, you know, as a business owner, if we're talking to the people who are listening because a lot of people are listening are you know um, entrepreneurs in the aesthetic space or they want to be what would be one piece of advice that you would give to those who want to start the old medical aesthetics business whether they're going to be on the you know non-invasive side or the surgery side well my advice is uh is coming from a mouth of a young entrepreneur uh, my business is young I yeah. So take this under consideration when you use my advice. I think that <clears throat> my biggest advice to everyone who wants to start an aesthetic business is to embed your identity into the business, make mm -hmm. it your own, and let your personality shine through it because that's what's going to bring the most authenticity to what you do because you in this type of business people are giving their body to someone to make it better that yeah. needs a lot of trust yeah. people are very concerned very intimidated uh, by doing it and i i hear from all my patients if you put your identity forward if you put yourself forward if you are honest if you're humble with your patients, you will gain their trust. Yes. And, 
and humble and honest with yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I chose this uh, and I choose it every time uh, over, you know, promising things that I'm not, maybe I can't, you know, deliver or, or creating a hoo-ha uh, until, uh, until uh, just to get the volume up. Mm -hmm. I prefer to have less patience, give them more time. Yes. And be honest with them. Don't promise, you know, the moon because mm -hmm. I just can't deliver. Yeah. And, um, and enjoy this uh, relationship with the patient. Wow. Because you get a lot of satisfaction from it. That's that's beautiful, and and I and and I just have to harp on that last point again. It's better to have less clients who appreciate what you're doing, and you get to invest more time with them. It's better than having thirty people come through your door a day, and it's a very transactional process. So I think you know anyone, any any field, you know, like you know, I'm in finance, you're in surgery, other clients are. It's like less is more, and you said that earlier. Less I think more. less, is, less more. is more. It's not the retail business. You're not selling, uh, you know, perfume. Exactly. I love it. Oh my God. So tell our listeners where they can find you on social media, and I'm going to link everything in the show notes. But where can they find you on social media and your website? and where you're located. So I'm located in Midtown, uh, uh, in uh, Fifth Avenue and 44th Street. <clears throat> you're all welcome. Uh, I have an Instagram page. It's Dr. Guy Weiser. And I have a website that you're all welcome to go in. There's a lot of educational material over there, which is wisermd.com. And uh, please, Contact me for more information. Come for a consultation. Yes. Um, my practice is uh, is located over the one of the high-rise buildings over there on the rooftop. So there's like a fantastic view of New York City. Nice. And um, I operate there as well. I think I have the most beautiful OR in uh, in the in the United States, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> the view is just Amazing, amazing. Sometimes I'm concerned that I'm going to be too concentrated on the view and it kind of distract me from the procedure. I'm just kidding. Oh. It's that beautiful. That's awesome, though. And any of you guys who've been to Manhattan, you know if you get a good view, you have a good view. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Itai, thank you so much for allocating some of your energy to this podcast and to spend some time with me today. I appreciate I your it. time. I enjoyed it. All right, like what you heard, please leave us a review. I appreciate you listening and your support. Follow us on Instagram at Plan Life Happens and comment on this episode's post. Also, I appreciate your feedback and ideas. Improving is the name of the game. I'm Leslie Tracy, your host. Thanks for listening.